1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3 is our text. <clears throat> if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The title is Taste and See. Taste and See. And that's a pretty simple title. It's a simple outline. Uh, what Peter is saying is this. Try, try and experience for yourself that God is gracious. Taste and see. And I'm sure you've noticed that that was the same text for the article I wrote for our bulletin today and uh, the same title to the article. Uh, and I believe the Lord, as he often does, uh, led me to just elaborate on the article, take the same text and things. I feel that he did. Uh, and I'll just mention briefly, uh, as an introduction to the message, the same thing I wrote, a portion of it anyway. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was in the garage down here on Fort Williams, Wright's having my oil change, and the man that I met there, oh, not long after I moved here, nearly 13 years ago, uh, he sort of hangs around there, and uh, as I was waiting, he came out. And as I said in the article, we sat down and began to talk, and he asked me a question, really irrelevant. <laughs> and I told him, honestly, I've never thought of that. I mean, I've never considered that or something irrelevant. And I said, by the way, where do you go, Barry? And he said, uh, I don't go anywhere. He said, I had a bad experience in church, so I just don't go anywhere. But I believe in God, and I believe Jesus died for me. And uh, you know, y'all had such conversations, but this is what I want to repeat, especially. I think this man is about 75 years old. He's older than me. And, uh, and I thought, how tragic. I'm telling you, tragic, that he had no real interest in his immortal soul. He's facing eternity. I don't think he gives it a serious thought. And it made me realize once again, uh, as he walked away, I thought, thank God that you didn't leave me there. Thank God that you made me hunger and thirst after righteousness because if you didn't, I'd be satisfied by saying, well, I believe in God and go on my way. I, I felt pity for that man, and I pray, I pray that God will get his attention. Oh, if the Lord has made you thirsty, hungry, to know his son, my soul, friends, brethren, Fairmont Grace Church, it's not possible that we should be too thankful. <laughs> I mean, that's just not possible. Oh, thank God that he didn't leave us to ourselves. Peter, in this epistle, uh, he begins it pretty much the same way as he ends it. Uh, look at verse 2 of chapter 1, 1 Peter 1 and 2. He assures them beginning here and throughout the epistle and then when he closes it and then he picks it up in the second letter that he wrote. But he assures them of God's constant grace, endless supply of his all-sufficient grace. And remember the circumstances of the folks to whom Peter wrote this. But he says in verse 2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, 
through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Grace and peace. Martha, there's one thing needful. Oh, my soul. This was preached to me before I preached it to you. God, help me to remember those are the one things I need most. Not this, not that, not material things. Sure, we're not in heaven yet. We still have to eat. We still have to pay bills and so forth. But, oh, God, don't let me become so consumed with that that I neglect, like Martha did for a little while, that one thing needful. Grace through Christ and peace, peace with God. The peace of God multiplied throughout this letter again. He tells them over and over that God's grace is never subtracted. Did you hear that? <laughs> You'll never be in a place. There'll never be in a time. There'll never be a trial. There'll never be a heartache. There'll never be a conflict in your life where God's grace does not prove sufficient. Don't ask me to explain that, but it's so. And you know that it's so. His grace is never subtracted, it's never divided, it's always multiplied. And that's true for every child of God. As Bobby used to sing, he giveth more grace. Hmm? Never find anywhere in the word, word where he gives less grace. Can't find it. <laughs> he giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace, doesn't he? Hasn't he? His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, and he giveth, and he giveth again. Thank God. Isn't that true? Hasn't that been true in your experience, child of God? Hasn't that been true? Let your memory go back for a moment. Let it go back for a moment. There's been times in your life, and there will be, there has in mine, that I thought, oh, my soul, I can't take it. Can't take it. I'm, I'm ready to cash in my chips. I'm, I'm ready to throw in the towel. But here I am. <laughs> here I am. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and his grace will see me through. Hmm. And then Peter, he ends his epistle in much the same way, chapter 5, verse 12, 5 and 12. Peter, in closing this first letter to God's suffering children, says, By Sabinus, a brother unto you, as I suppose I have written, briefly and exhorting, testifying, that this is, or oh, could anything been more of a comfort to them, that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand, Nero can't touch that. He can take your possessions. He can chase you from your homes. He can take every earthly thing you have. He can take your life, but he can't touch this, that you're standing in the true grace of God. How can I know? That's the first question. We've only got a couple. First, how can I know that that's true of me? Hmm? that I'm standing in, that I'm trusting the true grace of God. Now, I'm standing here this morning as your pastor in Fairmont Grace Church. I'm in Fairmont Grace Church. Oh, but am I in Christ? 
I'm in the right doctrine. I'm convinced of that. I believe this is the glorious gospel of the blessed God that I preach. This is God's word. I'm in the right doctrine, but am I in Christ? I'm sure, for example, of the truth of the eternal redemption that Christ obtained for his people. Not took a stab at, not made available, but obtained for his people. The scriptures say plainly, in many places, in many different ways, plainly, Christ loved his church. And he gave himself for it. I laid down my life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm dying for my sheep. Uh, there's no question that Christ died for a particular people. Uh, redemption is a particular redemption. I, I honestly don't care much for the term limited atonement. I like better particular redemption. Christ died for his people. It was an effectual atonement. I have no question about that. I can know all that right here. But do I know the Redeemer that did it? <laughs> I can talk about redemption. I can argue about redemption. But do I know the Redeemer? There's a difference, isn't there? In the second epistle that Peter wrote, he said this. In chapter uh, 1, verse 10. Wherefore, the rather, the rather brethren, give diligence. Take this serious. Give it the due respect that we should. Give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Why did he say calling first? Election comes first. Well, yes, it does. Yes, it does. But in our experience of grace, calling comes first. We know that we're elected when God calls us. We can't know any other way. It's impossible to know that I'm one of God's chosen before I come to Christ. <laughs> when he calls me, I know he called me on purpose. Make that calling an election. You want to be sure. You want to have no doubts about your election. Be sure of your calling. That's the evidence and the proof of it. I want to share with you two statements by two of God's faithful messengers. Two of the most faithful men I've been privileged to know. Uh, and you've, you knew them too. You heard both these men preach that glorious gospel to us and, other and in other places many times. I'm speaking, of course, you may have guessed, Brother Don Fortner and dear Brother Henry Mahan. Faithful men, both now in glory. And I've known many faithful men, but the particular words I'm going to read to you by them kind of fits well the subject this morning. This is from Don. This is a message he preached from 1 Peter, the first 10 verses. He made this statement. In introducing his message, he said this, It is the salvation of your immortal souls that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about earthly temporal things, but about spiritual eternal things. I'm not talking about your house, your property, your money, or your health. I'm not talking to you about politics, history, or even church dogma. I'm talking to you about something of real importance. I'm talking to you about your soul. Your soul. For what shall it profit a man if she, he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Don said salvation, real salvation, causes sinners to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about that giddy, giggly, hee-hee-ha-ha -ha joy. <laughs> I can almost hear him now, can't you, Bobby? <laughs> I'm talking about real joy, joy in the very depths of your heart, joy. 
joy in God your Savior. When we have nothing else in which to rejoice, we can and should rejoice in God and in his salvation. Joy in the midst of heavy trials. Joy because of Jesus Christ. Joy because of the end in sight, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here's Brother Henry Mayhem. Anyone, anyone, and you may remember these. I think I've had this in our bulletin. Anyone who is serious about a knowledge of and relationship with the living God ought to question. Oh, ought to question today's religion, which makes salvation only a profession and not an experience. God's grace must be experienced and received by faith. And I like this illustration. Henry said, I'll never get across the river by simply believing that a certain bridge can take me across or that others, others have been successful in using the bridge. I must experience the bridge's deliverance and power for myself. I must walk across it myself. And that's what our text says, taste and see. Taste and see. That gives us the answer. That gives us the answer to the question, how can I know? that I'm standing in the true grace of God. And we have the answer here. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, God's children have an appetite for his grace. They long for it. And it's obvious that looking at these empty pews, there's not a whole lot of people that do. Oh, but God's true children, they are nourished by grace. They can't get enough of it. They can't hear enough of it. They can't speak enough of it. Oh, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Taste and see. And I repeat myself, try. Try and experience for yourself that God is gracious. You remember our Lord when he deliberately put himself right in the path of that poor, poor wretched woman in John 4 at the well? I know I've mentioned it to you before, but it's at first sight seems odd that she would come to the well in the middle of the day, the hardest part, hottest time of the day. Why did she do that? Why did she get up early or come late? She didn't want to be seen. She figured that would be the time most likely that nobody else would be at the well. Oh, she thanks God she was wrong about that, doesn't she? But here she comes. You know her history. You know her story. It seems that in the conversation with our Lord that she had been passed from one man to another. Just one, everybody knew who, who she was. She was a marked woman. But you know what? Because of that one woman, Christ told the disciples, I must go through Samaria. <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't because there was the only way to go. It's because there was a sheep there. And he came to seek and to save his sheep. But you remember what he said to her. Whosoever drinketh of, the, of this water shall thirst again. Oh, woman, he said, if you knew, every time I read that text or think about it, I send up a prayer on behalf of my sons and daughters and children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters. Oh, God, make them to know. If they only knew the gift of God and who it is, who it is, that saith that they give me to drink, you would ask of him, and he would give you living water. Water that shall be in you. And once you have it, you'll never thirst again. 
But the water that I shall give you shall be in you, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. If thou knewest, if you've tasted, you've experienced, you know the grace of God. Do you know who it is that speaks that the word of God speaks of. Do you know the one who is the incarnate God? Do you know that one who paid for the sins of all of his people? Do you know that sovereign God that right now at this very moment sits upon a throne of absolute sovereign dominity? And there is no limit to that. He's omnipotent. Do you know this one who is rich in mercy? Personally, personally. Do you know this one who quickens dead sinners to life? You know because you've tasted, he's quickened you. Oh, do you know if you knew the gift of God? Lady, lady, our Lord was asking, are you thirsty? Lady, are you thirsty? Are you about fed up with your life as it is? You've been drinking from the wells of worldly pleasure your whole life. What's it got you? Are you really thirsty? Do you really want a drink that'll satisfy you? Oh, and thank God he created in her that thirst, didn't he? Another example, John 6, you're familiar with it. He uh, had fed the multitude. What was it, 5,000 men besides women and children, 15,000, 20,000 people? And then he left, and they come hunting him. They, they come hunting him. And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for that meat which, which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto life everlasting, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him have God the Father sealed. And Jesus went on and said this to them, after he said many other things. He said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And you know what happened? Is that the expression? It just flew right over the head. Because the reason they sought him, they got hungry. They wanted more bread for their belly. They weren't interested in the bread of life, and they proved it. From that time, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They didn't want the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't have an appetite for that. Think about that. They didn't have an appetite for it. They weren't hungry. <laughs> they weren't thirsty. And now we can make excuses for folks all that we want. But the truth is when you get down to where the rubber meets the road, it's because they're not hungry. They're not thirsty. If they were, they'd come. They're not. They're not. Their heart's in the world, and that's where they're at. The bread of life, they didn't want, but natural bread, they did. Earthly bread, but not heavenly bread. I, I think I saw an example of this this morning. And I thought, well, I'm going to include this in my notes, so I put it in. Brother Luke Coffey, Bobby probably saw it, Robin was watching it. I was in my uh, office, and I had it on the computer watching some of it as long as I could. But... Uh, Brother Luke Coffey, Henry's grandson, and Doris. He preached a message about being in the pit from one of the Psalms. I don't recall which, but uh, he said just a simple message, two questions. 
How did I get in the pit and how could I get out? <laughs> I thought, that's good. That's real good. And I'll have to go back and listen to the rest. But while I had it on my computer, listening, here on the side, all kinds of stuff dropped down, a bunch of garbage, you know. I don't know how you get rid of that stuff. But, uh, but anyway, it caught my eye. And they had a picture of one fella. I mean, these, if you were interested, you could click on it. And I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder how many folks are watching that stupidity instead of listening to this gospel that that young man's preaching. But one of them had a picture of this fella that looked like he was snatched out of the 60s or 70s, a hippie. And it said, the immense weight of playing Jesus. He was an actor, and I guess uh, chosen, I think. I, was that a TV show or something? The immense weight of playing Jesus. And I thought, how many people would click on that and turn off the gospel? Another one right under that said this. Air Force vet dies and meets Jesus and is given the power to heal. Well, how do you do it? And here was another one. Holy Mass. You could, this was going on at the moment. It was live. Holy Mass in honor of Our Lady of Fatima, F-A-T-I-M-A, Fat Mom, I don't know. Holy Mass in honor, Holy Mess, in honor of Our Lady of Fatima on the anniversary of her aberration in 2023. Now most folks will eat that up. They've got an appetite for that. Hmm? I dare say if you go back and look this afternoon, that's those Things had more hits than the gospel. Why is that? Because people don't have an appetite. They've never tasted. They've never been thirsty. They've never been hungry. Oh, but to a hungry soul, a thirsty soul, that God's made thirsty, oh, they can't be satisfied with that junk. No, no, no. Another example in John chapter 7. Our Lord had watched for seven or eight days as these religious Jews went through their rigmarole religious tradition thinking they were doing God's doing God honor just empty useless going through the motions the feast of tabernacles I think our Lord was present and he watched that for seven possibly eight days and then we read this oh can't you just see him can't you just see him stand stand probably found an elevated place and stand and shouted, shouted out. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, out of the scripture, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He was asking once again, Is anybody thirsty? <laughs> Is there anybody in this multitude of people going through all these things like uh, like zombies no heart in it not you know just going through the motions to satisfy their conscience there's there anybody out there that wants more than this anybody is there anybody among these thousands that really want to know the living god anybody anybody thirsty and there weren't read that chapter i can't find one that responded today Went through the motions and then they went home. <laughs> the true believer, though, oh, that's another story, isn't it? He not only goes to the vineyard and sees the wine, but he also goes into the wine cellar and tastes the wine. Taste the wine. 
This is how the psalmist expressed it. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Again, Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth, upholdeth me. I don't think the man who wrote those words would be satisfied with making a decision for Jesus, do you? I don't think trotting up an aisle and shaking my hand would satisfy that man. He wanted to know God. I sometimes wonder what Peter, Paul, or John, Andrew, would think if they were here today and stepped into the average so-called worship service. Can you imagine what they would think? They would see all the nonsense, all the waste and people sitting out there with their mortal souls, and you've got a hired puppet, an entertainer, up there playing games and entertaining folks, entertaining folks. Oh, I wonder what Paul would say about that. Well, he already has said it. If any man preach any other gospel than that which I have received and preached unto you, Paul said, let him be accursed. If an angel comes down here preaching a different gospel, let him be accursed. That's what Paul thinks about it. Thank God, thank God, that he would not allow you. Thank God that he would not allow his people to be satisfied with anything less or anything else than the true grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. Thank God. You know what? I'm not going to tell you what you should do, but I'll tell you what Larry Chris should do. There should not be, I should not start a morning. When God opens my eyes in the morning before I I begin my day to thank him for his unmerited grace. And the last thing I should do, God forgive me, I don't. The last thing I should do when I lay down at night is to thank God that he made this sinner thirsty. And he enabled me, of all people, not my four brothers, not my friends, but he called Larry Chris. Made me thirsty. Oh, how thirsty I was. And people try to satisfy me with altar calls and just all kinds of nonsense. Oh, but God said, oh, that won't get it done. <laughs> oh, that thirst was still there. Until, until that glorious, glorious hour when he handed me himself the water of life and I tasted and I tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know he's gracious. Glory to his name, he's gracious. Praise God for his amazing grace. This is what the wise man said, comparing the two things, the natural bread, natural water, and you know what those things are, compared to the living bread and water. The wise man said after he had seen it all and did it all, Solomon, man was richest man around, wasn't he? He said this, are you listening? He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with the increase. This is vanity. It's emptiness. It's futile. As he came forth from his mother's womb, 
Naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sort of evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go, and what profit has he that has labored for the wind? Mm. Mm. Thank God again, if he created in you a hunger after righteousness that could not be satisfied until you tasted and saw that the Lord is gracious. Again, the psalmist 119, Psalm 119, 103, verse 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. An appetite for grace in a person is not hereditary, is it? My daddy, if he had it, couldn't pass it down to me, nor could I pass it down to my children. It's not in fallen man's nature. It's only created. A thirst for Christ, his salvation, his grace, his mercy is only created when God Almighty performs a mighty operation of grace in their heart. Isn't that so? He makes us thirsty. He makes us thirsty. Uh, like that dear woman we read of in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all give the account. She was hemorrhaging to death, issue of blood. She had spent all of her living on physicians and were told she wasn't made better. She was only grew worse until that day. You think she could ever forget that day? Until that day, she heard that where Jesus Christ was. Oh, can you just picture her? as she perhaps on her hands and knees, I've got to get to him. If I can just get so close, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, that's why I think she probably crawled through that crowd. And the very moment, the very moment she made contact with the Son of God, her sin flew out and his grace flew in. And she was never the same after that. Oh, as old Newton said, was grace that taught my heart to fear. The physician, the physician of souls does this. When he does that, he also does this. And grace, my fears, relieves. Christ gives an appetite for him, which we never had before. Being born again, verse 23 of 1 Peter 1, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Galatians 3 and 10. Put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. That new creation is the work of God alone. Newborn, newborn babe desire the sincere milk of the word. As I often do, uh, I don't drag it in, these hymns that I so much quote to you, they just seem to say what I fail to find words to say. But on page 446 of our hymn book, satisfied, satisfied. <laughs> all my life long, all my life I had a panting for a drink from some sweet spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husk around me. Till my strength was almost gone. Oh, longed my soul for something better. Only still the hunger on. Poor was I and sought for riches. Something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered round me only mocked 
my soul's sad cry. Well of, well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. He gave me that thirst and then he quenched it. Hallelujah, I found him. You can join in if you want to. <laughs> Hallelujah, I found him. Whom my soul so long has craved, Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood I now am saved. Taste and see. Taste and see. My soul, David wrote, my soul shall be satisfied, and my mouth shall sing forth the praises of God. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yo, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2. As the apple among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. We, uh, we can never, by the most learned or eloquent or studied message, convey to anybody what honey, for example, tastes like. But if you had a jar right now and you dipped your finger in it, you know. <laughs> you know. You couldn't know by any other way until you taste it. That's grace. Taste and see that the Lord is gracious. Let me share this with you, and I'll draw this to a close. I thought this was so good. It was in Brother Bruce Crabtree's bulletin, uh, today's bulletin. He told this story, or rather gave the story that Mr. Spurgeon told. This is Spurgeon. In those ill times when there were slaves in America, a lady went down into one of the English ships accompanied by her black slave woman. The lady remarked to the captain that if she were to go to England and took this slave with her, she would become free as soon as she landed. The captain replied, Madam, she is free, she is free the moment she came board this British vessel. <laughs> How about that? By, do you think Spurgeon said when that black slave heard that, she would go down that plank and leave that ship? Mm. No, no, no. Why, only a few inches of separation from the shore, Spurgeon said. Still, it made all the difference. She was free on board and a slave on land. How slight the change of place, but how great the difference involved. And this is Mr. Crabtree. This world may pay no mind to it, and the believer himself may have difficulty grasping the reality of it, but to be in Christ Jesus has changed everything, everything. It has closed the incomprehensible distance, and thank God the change can never be reversed. <laughs> Once I'm his, I'm his forever. Nothing from his love can sever. Christ feeds his people here in grace and then in glory. As wonderful and as blessed it is to taste and experience his grace here, it's just a taste. It, we've just got a taste compared to what it's going to be in glory. For as often as you eat this bread, he told his disciples, and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Oh, what's what it's going to be like now. The joy of tasting his grace now. 
Oh, but my soul, how can that compare to that feast? Oh, that feast that we will enjoy at the master's table in heaven. He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. Wow. That doesn't mean for pork chops. <laughs> they shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. He said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Great things he hath taught us. Great things he has done. And great our rejoicing in Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater it, be, it will be when with joy and with wonder when Jesus we say. Mm, what a feast. What a feast. Thank God if he has enabled us, made us taste his grace and know his Son. Thank God for that. God bless you. <clears throat>